He is risen. Good morning. My name is Scott Harrison, one of the pastors here at Grace Baptist Church in Millersville. It is wonderful to see everyone this morning. I have just a couple of things I want to highlight before we begin our time of worship today. Uh, the first, I just want to draw your attention to the worship registry that can be found in the chair in front of you. If you'd be willing to fill that out and put that in the, one of the grace boxes throughout the building, we would appreciate that. Um, you can also use the grace box for your offering as well. Uh, there's one in the back of the auditorium. There's one in the foyer, and then there's also one by the north exits as well. Um, actually, out in the foyer, underneath the television out there on the table, there are copies of a, of a book that Crossway has donated to us. It's called Easter. Um, Kevin DeYoung wrote it. Um, it is really well illustrated. I would encourage you, if you've not yet picked one up, feel free to do that. We have plenty, so if you want to take one for your family, and if there's someone else that you think might enjoy that, by all means, make sure you grab one of those, um, and I'm sure we'll have a few laying around for the next few weeks if you miss one, but I just want to draw your attention. They would be uh, well worth your time grabbing. Um, because of Resurrection Sunday, we will not have any evening activities this evening, so there'll be no Pyro Student Ministries, um, so just spend time, enjoy time with your family, um, and have a good time there. Um, next week, uh, we leave Monday and come back Friday. Pastor Joel and I will be out of the office uh, we'll be heading down to Louisville, Kentucky for the Together for the Gospel Conference. Uh, so we'll be leaving Monday afternoon and coming back Friday. Um, so if you have any questions or anything that you need, make sure you reach out to your elder. Um, they'll be happy to help you. Uh, we're excited. This is the, the last year for T4G. Um, we've been to a lot of them. Uh, they're beneficial. Um, we're often encouraged uh, greatly by them. And it's a good time to spend some time together. So we are looking forward to that. So if you would pray for us in our time there. Well, all right, I have a good time. All right, um, but we're, we're heading out Monday. And then there's a lot of things coming up in the next few weeks, in the next few months. Um, so we would encourage you to take a look at our church website, findgracehere.org, or even through the Church Center app. All those activities are listed there with lots of uh, information there for you to practice, or get your schedules and calendars set for that. Um, we're grateful that we can worship our risen Lord today together as a family, and we'll turn it over to Ryan and the team. I invite you all to stand and let's lift our voices high and sing the praises of our risen King. Victor from the door. 
Morning. Just a reminder, um, I'll be up front again after the service. If uh, something on your heart today that you would like to pray uh, with me, I would love to, to, to pray with you this morning. After the service, I'll be up front. I see we have some visitors today. We welcome you. That invitation goes out to visitors, uh, regular attenders, church members. Uh, doesn't matter. Would you pray with me now? The Apostle Paul wrote to the people of Corinth saying, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Lord Jesus, we rejoice today in your triumphant victory over death. We rejoice because your victory is also our victory. Because Christ died and rose again, we can be reconciled to God. Our Father God made Jesus, who had no sin, become sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because Christ died and rose again, we who have received him became children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. Because Christ died and rose again, we have an advocate, an advocate in Christ Jesus who is at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. Because Christ died and rose again, we have full assurance that he is with us. We proclaim with the Apostle Paul that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We also know that one day he who raised our Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and bring us into his presence. Lord, we are excited to be in your house this morning, worshiping together with fellow believers who also proclaim what is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. We pray, Lord, that the songs we sing and the message we hear from your servant this morning will cause us to be more like our risen Savior, and it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Good morning. I'm here to read scripture with you this morning, and we're going to read uh, the passage that Jeff referred to in his prayer. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> uh, let's begin. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 5,000 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, 
and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you have believed. Um, This is the word of the Lord. He rose from the grave, and because of what he did, we have hope that we too will will rise also. I invite you to stand and let's sing again um, and give praise to Christ for, uh, for what he's done for us and for all that it means to us today. the death of 
be seated. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. Matthew, chapter 27 is where I want to direct your attention. Verse 62, we're going to start reading, and uh, we'll read through chapter uh, 28, the first 15 verses or so. Matthew 27, starting in verse 62. Uh, these are the events. Uh, the first scene here is an event that takes place on what has been called Holy Saturday, uh, which would have been the Sabbath, the day after the crucifixion. So we begin there in Matthew chapter 27, verse 62. The next day, the day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he's been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath... The next day, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus, the crucified, Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings. He said, they came to him, clasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of men, money telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him, away while, stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Wolfhart Pannenberg is a German theologian, and he said one of my favorite things about the resurrection that can be said, uh, you have heard me say this maybe every year, the Easter Bunny and Wolfhart Pannenberg both come around this time of year. He said, the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it is a very unusual event, and second, if you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. Let me read it again. 
The evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it is a very unusual event. And second, if you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. If that's true, then it makes sense. We understand why Matthew brackets his account of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus by telling us about the religious leaders and their efforts to squash any claim that Jesus rose from the dead. Did you notice that? It's both before and after the scenes describing the resurrection. We, we meet with the religious leaders. In the first scene, they talk about how uh, they had heard Jesus talk about his own resurrection. They heard him talk about it, and they even knew the details. Third day, the third day is important. So that's why they went to Pilate. <laughs> they were thinking that the disciples would try to steal the body. How poorly the religious leaders understood the disciples. But they went to Pilate. They're going to try to steal the body. So we got to guard, guard the body and put the seal. So they, they put the soldiers and they take some clay or something like it. And they put it between the stone and the wall of the tomb. And uh, so they seal it with the clay. And then they put a stamp on it that says, touch this and you die or something like that. And uh, uh, um, uh, then they'll, they'll ensure that the disciples won't make anything up about Jesus rising from the dead. That, that's before the account of the resurrection. And then after in Matthew's uh, book, uh, the account of the resurrection, he, he, he mentions the chief priests again who have eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses who can tell him about something, tell them about something supernatural that has happened and they pay a lot of money to keep it quiet. If Pennenberg is right, well, it seems like the religious leaders think that he must be right. That if you believe the resurrection happened, that means it changes the way you live. What were these men so afraid of? Is it really that earth shattering, something that happened 2,000 years ago? Is it really that significant? How big, how big is the news that Christ has been raised from the dead? That's the question that I want to ask and answer this morning. How big is the news that Christ has been raised from the dead? And, and uh, we want to follow here through Matthew, and I want to show you four reasons why it is indeed big news. We'll start this way. Number one, the resurrection introduces the new age. The resurrection introduces the new age. Now, when I use the phrase new age, I'm not talking about the new age movement, spiritism or crystals or anything like that. I'm talking about the fact that the Bible teaches that in the unfolding plan of God, God is going to, at a certain point in time, turn history upside down, inside out. He's going to make all things new. And I think that Matthew argues here that the resurrection of Jesus is the hinge on which the new age swings. In Revelation chapter 21, John has a vision of what it's going to be like in that day. And he says, I saw a new heavens and a new earth. And then Jesus says, I am making everything new. And resurrection day is an announcement of newness, that Jesus makes things new. Now, you can see that in the text by some of the images that Matthew uses when he writes about the resurrection. First, we can think about the, the image of the tomb and the womb. The tomb and the womb. 
Resurrection day, according to Matthew, is almost like a birthday. It's almost like a, a new day. Well, it was the first day of the week. Yes, first day. And, and it's almost like a birthday. Uh, we've been walking through Matthew for a while. Last week, we were talking about the burial accounts that Matthew records for us. And there were names that showed up that are repeated here at the end of Matthew that maybe would make you think of what happened at the beginning of Matthew. Did you, did you notice that? Um, look at, at Matthew 27, verse 56. Here's the account of the faithful women who were at the cross and at the tomb. And notice the names and the names that are repeated here. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Verse 57, as evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Two more Marys, two Josephs. Is there any other name that people have in this gospel? Because those are the same names at the beginning. Now, it's coincidental that these are names are the same. They're not not the same people, and these are real people. Matthew's not making this up. But he's pointing out the significance. He's pointing out the repetition because he wants you to think about when Jesus came into the world and the family God used uh, Mary to give birth to Jesus. And now here at the end in the burial, he wants you to think about birth. Mary was a virgin. Jesus was conceived of a virgin. And Jesus is laying here in this unused tomb. He's, as it were, put to rest in a virgin tomb. An angel announced his birth. An angel announced his resurrection. Then there's the presence of, at the tomb, these faithful women that the text mentions in Matthew uh, 28. That wasn't just in my head, was it? (laughs) In Matthew chapter 28, uh, there is, uh, 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 these women come to the tomb early in the morning and... uh, uh, usually when we talk about the women, we, we talk about the women a couple of different ways. On the one hand, we say these women here in the text are proof that this story was not made up because if you were going to create a story like this in the first century, you wouldn't have women be the first witnesses because women were not allowed at this time in this culture to testify in court. So the fact that the women are first witnesses is proof that this is a real story, not a made up one. So that's, we talk about women that way. The second way that we sometimes talk about these faithful women is we talk about the fact that Christianity transformed the world and how uh, uh, women are treated and the role and status of women. Women made in the image of God, full participants in the body of Christ. Uh, and here are these faithful, faithful women. So that's usually the reasons that we talk about the women. Alistair Roberts says, building on this birth theme, that we might think of the women present here uh, at, at um, well, what happened in the ancient world when a woman went into labor? What do you do? Call the midwife. Women come around to help births. And uh, here are women at this resurrection. Maybe you should think of, you can think with me about Isaiah 26, 16 to 19. And look what it says about the connection between resurrection and birth. Look what Isaiah says. Um, this is a, a lament here. He speaks to God. Lord, the people, they came to you in their distress when you disciplined them. They could barely whisper a prayer. 
As a pregnant woman about to give birth writhes and cries out in pain, so were we in your presence, Lord. We were, as it were, with child. We writhed in labor, but we gave birth to wind. There was nothing. We couldn't save ourselves. We have not brought salvation to the earth, and the people of the world have not come to life. But in contrast, your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. And then look at this phrase. The earth will give birth to her dead. Tomb and womb, it's a new age. It's a new age, a new beginning. Now, second image here we can think about is the tomb and the second coming. The tomb and the second coming as we think about this new age. Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 describes his second coming, an event that we believe is yet future. He still is, uh, we still anticipate his return. And the images that he uses to describe his second coming, earthquakes, lightning, and that's actually two of the elements that are here in this passage, the earthquake and the angel that looks like lightning. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, in that day when he comes, there will be mourning. People will see him, uh, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, mourning. There will be mourning when they see him coming. And here in this passage, the soldiers are filled with grief. There's irony, not uh, grief, sorry, not grief, Fear, fear. They're filled with fear. Certain irony in this, I think. The living soldiers are sent on Saturday to guard the dead body. And on Sunday morning, the dead body becomes living and the soldiers are so frightened they become like they're dead. This is the beginning of something new. This is what Jesus does. He makes things new. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can testify to that, right? That this is what Jesus does. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Perhaps today could be a day of encouragement for you to think again about the life that you lead before God as a follower of Jesus. Is there anything in your life that you wish could be repaired or restored? Every thoughtful person sees things in their lives, habits, patterns, things they do and say that they wish they could change. It's frustrating. It's like your house. Um, if you, you were to take me into your house, there'd be parts of your house that you're very pleased with and very proud of. And look at this, this new floor. This is, we just put this, fix this bathroom. It's just wonderful. But there's also parts of your house that you're like, oof, that haunt you, right? That aren't quite right and you want to fix and you're, you're going to get to it someday. Uh, when we first moved to Lancaster, I went to Wheatland to tour the home of James Buchanan. And I paid my money one of my tours. I was the only poor soul on my tour. And uh, we went, uh, walked through the house, and this is nicely restored. And, 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 except we went up to one uh, landing, and there was this door, and she opened the door of the tour guide. I guess I got the deluxe tour because I was the only one on the tour. And she showed me this empty room, bare walls, bare floor, and she said, we're trying to get enough money to fix this room. James Buchanan was North George Washington, and this is not Mount Vernon. 
That's what she said to me. Do you have, poor James Buchanan. Do you have a, this is his own fault. Do you have, do you have a, 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 a space in your house that you're like, oh, we're working on it. What if you were to give me a tour of your mind and your heart? Are those places, are there places in progress in your life too? Here's good news. An honest soul. <laughs> this is not interactive, child. Okay, so. <laughs> I, I'm grateful for your sanctification, but the rest of us need this help. Jesus makes things new. Jesus makes things new. Sometimes it's radical and immediate. Sometimes it's very slow and plodding. There's a wonderful scene in uh, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader by C.S. Lewis featuring a little boy named Eustace Scrub. Eustace Scrub is one of the protagonists of this novel. And Eustace Scrub is the sort of child that no teacher would ever want in her class. Uh, Eustace was a complainer. He was argumentative. He was petty. He was selfish. Uh, Kathy and I, when we uh, lived in Dallas in our church, we volunteered in the nursery. We were in the nursery that was for uh, newborns to crawlers. And once you started crawling, you moved to another room. And we had this one child who would come to the nursery and scream and scream and scream. We We did training sessions to try to get this child to crawl early so we could boot this child out of our nursery. He was so awful. Little Eustace scrub. That was not his real name, but it could have been. Anyway, Eustace Scrub one day uh, found a dragon's treasure, and uh, because he's a greedy soul, he took part of it and put it on a a bracelet or something, a dragon-sized bracelet, and he wrapped it around his uh, ankle and fell asleep with joy, he thought, uh, laying atop this dragon's treasure. To his horror, he woke up in the morning and that bracelet that, that it was so loose on his ankle the night before was just tight and hurt. And he looked down and to his surprise, Eustace Scrub, lying on a dragon's uh, treasure, had become a dragon himself. The ugliness that was inside was now outside to his horror. Eventually, he comes and he, he meets Aslan the lion, the great hero of the Chronicles of Narnia. And Aslan tells him, if you want to become a boy again, you need to wash in this pool. He took him to the pool. You need to wash in this pool. And, and Eustace, as a dragon, steps, gets ready to step down in it. And Aslan says, no, 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 you must undress first. And he was very confused because Eustace was because he didn't have any clothes on. But then he remembered that snakes shed their skin and he thought, maybe, maybe I need to shed this snake's, this dragon skin that I have. So he took his sharp dragon claws and started scratching away at his arms and he pulled off a layer of skin all over his body and there it lay, but um, he still, it hurt, he still had a lot on, so Scratched again, scratched again, got a second layer of dragon skin on, but he was still awful scaly. Aslan said, you must let me undress you. And Aslan uh, used to scrub laid down in front of the fearsome lion, and Aslan took his paw with his sharp claws and reached into Eustace's skin, dragon skin, so deep that Eustace said it felt like he touched my very heart. And Aslan started to tear the skin off of Eustace. And he picked him up, 
And when he was done and threw him in the water and it stung at first. And then you just look down and realize that his skin was fresh and pink. He was a new little boy again. Sometimes that's the way Jesus works in our lives. He rather radically and immediately transforms us. Sometimes his work is slow and plodding. But it's possible. His work is possible because of resurrection day. Perhaps today is a day that would encourage you again to come to Jesus with your in-process life and say, you are the Lord of the new. Please continue your work. Start again. Work again. Make me new. Now, Related to that, I suppose, is the third image that's in the text. We have a tomb and a womb and the tomb and the second coming. The third image is a tomb and a prison. The tomb and, the, and a prison. There's guards at the tomb. There they are watching over the tomb. We know why they're there. They're there to keep the, the soldiers from getting in. That's true. I, I love the line from Pilate. Make it as secure as you know how. <laughs> how secure can you make the tomb of the Son of God? Not very Make your two-year-old sit here for as long as you can. <laughs> Not very long. So uh, they're there. They're there to uh, keep the disciples from getting in. But there's a sense in which it almost looks like they're there to keep Jesus from getting out too. Uh, it's an image here. Sin and death are like a prison. They imprison us. We sang it not too long ago, right? Death cannot keep its prey. Jesus, my Savior, he tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord, he, he, there was a prison break. Uh, Freedom Day, resurrection morning. Uh, 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 newness. The world has not always been broken like it is. You get discouraged and look at the world and it's so broken. The world hasn't been broken like this. And... Because of the resurrection, it's not going to remain broken like it is either. Do you get discouraged about the brokenness in your own life? If you're a follower of Jesus, it's not always going to be like it is right now. This is the dawn of the new age. Now, secondly here, the resurrection affirms the deity of Jesus. Why is this big news? Because it affirms the deity of Jesus. Now, the Bible tells us, all the Gospels tell us, that Jesus is born the Son of God. God the Son took to himself human flesh, and he was born the God-man. But after the resurrection, there seems to be this heightened awareness or heightened celebration of it. You can see it in the fact that they keep referring to uh, Jesus is risen, just as he said, just as he said, who, who, what kind of person can say, uh, I'm going to die tomorrow, but in three days I'm going to rise from the dead. I mean, who is this? And then you can also see it here in how the women greet Jesus. He appeared to them in verse 9. Suddenly Jesus met them. Now, you should wonder to yourself, why did he appear? Why did he appear to them? They had all of the information that they needed. The angel had told them he's risen. The angel had given them instructions. The angel had told them what to do. Why this appearance of Jesus is, um, for the flow here, uh, unnecessary. But he appears. Why does he appear? I, it's almost as if 
He's anxious to meet them. Like he, he can't wait for the surprise. He's excited about the opportunity to, to see them. He greets them and it's so, it's kind of bland. Um, my translation translates it as greetings. Um, a very common way to say hello to somebody in this culture. Jesus appears to them and says, hello there. Uh, there was a pastor once teaching a class of little children, and he said, does anybody know the first words that Jesus spoke to his followers after he rose from the dead? And one little girl said, I'm sure it must have been, ta-da! <laughs> hmm. Uh, no, actually, he just very much, hello there! That's what it says. Um, why? Why did he do this? I, I, again, I think he's just anxious. He's anxious to be with them and anxious to see them. Uh, anxious to erase any of the lingering questions that they might have about the reality of his resurrection. And notice what they do. They fell at his feet, his feet, because he has a real human feet, like a real human being with a real human body. He's not a ghost. And they worshiped him. Matthew is clear throughout his book, only God is to be worshiped, but there is no hesitancy here. There's no correction from Jesus, just joyful worship. Jesus is the risen Lord. There's a sense in which we reenact that deep joy in Jesus when we meet to worship together on Sunday mornings. We, we um, gather together and we sing and we say true things about Jesus. And, and it works. It works to recalibrate our hearts and our minds to sing and say true things about Jesus. Some of you are old enough to remember cars uh, when radios in cars had dials on them that you had to actually spin. Some of you are old enough that you don't remember that cars had radios. Somebody in the church has gone radio. But anyway, so, uh, um, you know, your car, you had to spin the dial, right? And, and if you go up over a hill or down uh, into a valley or around a corner, sometimes that you lose the signal, you have to adjust the dial. And Worship, the, one of the purposes of worship is that living in the weak in this broken world throws your heart out of, out of, out of you lose the signal. And there's some static going on in your heart and mind. And gathering together with God's people, that one of the purposes of it to sing and to worship is to recalibrate your heart, your mind. Which means that um, sometimes when you least feel like attending worship is when you most need to. And, and, and we, we gather together and we sing and, and say true things about the Lord Jesus. And we, are remind, we remind one another again that he is worthy of our highest loyalty. That our allegiance to him supersedes all of our other allegiances because he is the risen Lord. Now you know, you know that... Um, since I grew up in Western New York, it makes sense. It makes sense that I am a fan. I have a certain amount of loyalty to the Buffalo Bills through all the pain and sorrow that it has involved. This is going to be our year. I'm sure of it. Um, I, it occurred to me this week that I have lived actually in Pennsylvania longer now in my life than I ever lived in New York. And I've lived in Pennsylvania long enough to be suspicious of those strange people from New Jersey. God may love them, but I'm not sure. Um, you know, I mean, we're from Pennsylvania. 
You have loyalties in your life, right? To your sports team, to your branch of the military. You can make good jokes about the other branches and what's wrong with them because of your branch. You, you, you have a certain level of loyalty to the, your alma mater, to the country. Some of you have a fanatic uh, loyalty to the brand of toothpaste you use. You'd let your teeth rot if you couldn't brush with Crest. You're just strange. None of this, though, compares to the loyalty that is due the risen Lord Jesus. It's big news. He, he is God the Son. He's the God-man worthy of our highest allegiance. Now, third, the resurrection. Why is it big news? Because it transforms our relationship with God. Again, it transforms our relationship with God. Again, we come back to the, the appearance of Jesus um, and, and he seems anxious to meet with him. You can tell that by what he says. He says, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. He wants to be with them. Now, he says, my brothers. He's not talking about his literal brothers. He's talking about the disciples. And he seems excited to be with them. Like, like your grandmother, three days before Christmas, right? And she's thinking about how everybody's going to be around the table and how awesome that's going to be. And she's very excited about that. Jesus is like, Galilee, Galilee, we're going to Galilee. But notice here what he calls them. He says, go and tell my brothers, why would he want to be with these men, these disciples, who had failed him so spectacularly? Um, you know, um, Peter was so confident, I'll be loyal to you forever. And, and then he, he fell so hard so fast. Why? He calls these men brothers. What does this teach you about your own relationship with Jesus? Is there any sense in which Jesus calls you brother or calls you sister with joy? Does Jesus want to be with you? Now, I know the answer to the question, of course, yes, because he loves everybody, right? And he has to, and of course he would. But does he, does he want to be with you? Does he look forward to the day that he returns and sees you face to face. Some of us are inclined to think that the failures that we do, that the sins that we commit make Jesus, you know, stand back a little bit, back off and, and um, uh, you know, regret his, the relationship that he started with us. Like, you've been spreading chicken manure somewhere and you smell like, oof, go away. Get back. Some of us are inclined to think, think that way. Could it be possible? Could it be possible that at the moment of our greatest grief over how we have failed Jesus, it actually elicits him to step toward us, closer to us? Think about your son and him playing with his pocket knife. It's a pocket knife that your brother, his uncle, gave to him, to much to your great regret, but he's got this pocket knife, and, and you told him what to do with it, and how to be careful with it, and how to treat it, and he uh, doesn't follow your instructions, and when he slices open his hand, are you going to run toward him or run away from him? What are you going to do? What does Jesus do? Go and tell my brothers. 
Sin is not the obstacle that it once was. Because Jesus on the cross bore the wrath of God for us so that we can enter his presence and boldly approach him. John Chrysostom, the early church father, said, Let no one mourn that he has fallen again and again, for forgiveness has risen from the grave. Remember that curtain was torn in two from the top to the bottom. It's the invitation of God to come. And Jesus says without shame, my brothers, let's get together, my brothers. The resurrection transforms our relationship with God. Fourth, the resurrection launches a new worldwide mission. It launches a new worldwide mission. Now, in a couple of weeks, we're going to come back to Matthew for the last time for a while. And uh, we're going to look at, at, at Matthew 28, 16 through 20. It's a passage we've read several times. I want to read verses 18 through 20 here um, just as, as we think about this. Verse 18, finally they get to Galilee. They meet with him. And Jesus says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This command to go and make disciples is rooted itself in the resurrection because Jesus rose from the dead. The disciples were to go. We go because Jesus is risen. I think this is why Matthew emphasizes Galilee so much. If you read Luke and John, you'll see that the resurrection accounts in the other gospels are, are different here, not contradictory, but different. They don't emphasize Galilee like Matthew does. Speaking of those differences, remember that um, uh, those differences are uh, not contradictory. The gospels sometimes differ from one another, but are not contradictory. They have different emphases and different themes that they're tracing. Um, when it comes to their resurrection accounts, it can be hard, uh, challenging in particular, to put the Gospels together if you want to make one coherent story. It's challenging, but not impossible. It's, it's been done uh, convincingly and well, I think. But Matthew doesn't talk about the Jerusalem appearances that Luke and John do. He talks about Galilee. Why Galilee? Because, well... That's where everything started, started in Galilee. And then Galilee is not the holiest place in the world. Galilee is the place where you might end up meeting some very unholy Gentiles. It's far away from the temple in Jerusalem. It's kind of the backwater. It's not impressive. It's far away from God. It's the perfect place to begin telling people in darkness about the light of Jesus. And, and, and the disciples hear this command and they go and, and obey it. And Michael Kruger, who's a New Testament expert, says that this is one of the best arguments for the history of the resurrection. So the New Testament is interested in uh, um, you believing in the historicity of the resurrection. The Gospels contain a lot of details to establish the truthfulness of the resurrection. For example, in Matthew, he talks about, Matthew writes about the Jewish uh, legend that was traveling around Jerusalem that the disciples stole the body. Matthew wrote about that to debunk it, to show you where this lie came from. And it is interesting too, uh, you'd like to ask the soldiers, if you were sleeping, 
how do you know it was the disciples who stole the body? Right? If you were sleeping, how do you know the disciples stole the body? And there's, there's things all the way through the Gospels uh, and the resurrection accounts and all of them that are uh, little details like that that are to help us understand this really happened. Matthew wants you to investigate this because all the way through the passage that I read, you have the repetition of the word, look, 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 see, see, come and see this, come and see. Uh, that's why they roll, uh, the angel rolled the stone away from the tomb, not to let Jesus out, but to let the women in so they could go and see that he's, his body isn't there. So the Gospels are interested in you understanding the truthfulness of what happened. And remember Wolfhart Pannenberg? It's an unusual event. Kruger, Michael Kruger says that here is an argument that is sometimes overlooked. Um, something significant happened to these disciples. The religious leaders had thought that the disciples were plotting to steal the body. Oh, no, they were not. They were hiding. They were hiding between the crucifixion and the resurrection. They were not bold. They were hiding. What happened? What happened to them that made them change them from hiding people to boldly proclaiming people? Something must have happened. Bart Ehrman is a New Testament uh, scholar and a skeptic of Christianity, does not believe that Jesus is a savior or that he rose from the dead. And listen to what Bart Ehrman said. It is indisputable that some of the followers of Jesus came to think that he had been raised from the dead and something had to have happened to make them think so. Indeed, something did happen to make them think so. His preferred solution is that they hallucinated, that these are all hallucinations. He calls them bereavement visions. Rarely, rarely have I ever spoken to a grieving person who tells me that on a regular basis they saw their loved one come back from the dead. And, and if they are in that condition, they are not the sort of people to launch a worldwide transforming movement. The explanation that stands the test of time and reason and history is that Jesus is alive. And the disciples saw him, so they go. So here at the end of Matthew, as we're almost finished with the, the gospel itself, is the invitation to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus, the one who sees you and knows you and invites you to himself that he might call you brother or sister. It's an invitation to come to the one who is worthy of your highest allegiance. Nothing else that you want to ally yourself with can bear the weight of your allegiance, but Jesus can. And an invitation to come to the one who sends you out with his authority to tell others the good news about him. Come to the Jesus who is alive. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we come before you this morning and how thankful we are to you for your um, word and this account of the resurrection of Jesus. Lord, uh, we, in a sense, we celebrate every Sunday when we gather together, celebrate the fact that Christ is alive. And uh, on this particular day, we give you thanks. We sing the songs, we read the passages, we contemplate again the story. Uh, and, and yet, Lord, sometimes we are... We find ourselves easily prone to um, put in the background these radical ideas, this radical truth 
of the resurrection of Jesus. Sometimes it's because we're overwhelmed with our guilt. Sometimes it's because we're discouraged by the circumstances of the world. Sometimes it's because we're people who have divided loyalties. But we come before you again, you who make all things new, and ask that you would uh, 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 awaken again a sense of joy and wonder in us over this good news. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Help us, O Lord. We pray these things together in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, Amen. I invite you to stand again as we sing once more this morning. He is risen. He is risen you may be seated. 